0: It's Valentine's Day month, and since at To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, we talk so much about sex and marriage, I'm really excited about this month. So thank you for joining us for the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast on this first Thursday in Valentine's Day month. (laughs) One word of warning before we get started. Today we are going to be talking a lot about sex, so this is probably a good podcast to listen to when no kids are around. Probably a lot of my podcasts are like that, but this one especially. Over the month of February, we're going to be looking at some of the big benefits of sex, how to get more adventurous and feel more comfortable in your own skin, and even just some basic sexual health like pelvic floor health, how to make sex feel great, things like that. And I want to talk first, just to set the stage for all of this, about one of the really cool benefits that I think sex has, and it took me a long time to understand this. I wrote about it yesterday on tolovehonorandvacuum.com on the blog, but I want to expand on that and really share my heart with you. When I give my Girl Talk, uh, my event at churches where I come in and talk about sex and answer a whole bunch of questions, it's a lot of fun. I'll be doing actually two of them this month, one in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, and one in Louisiana because my husband and I are down south in our RV right now. But one of the things that I share with my my audiences is that sex was not easy for me when I was first married. I couldn't figure out how to make it feel good. It hurt a lot. It was really awkward. It was uncomfortable. Keith wanted it all the time. And this is just one of the biggest sources of tension in our marriage. I laugh about it now. I think that probably God let me experience all that heartache and hardship around it so that I could relate to women who didn't find sex easy. I think if I had always found sex easy, it'd be very difficult to do what I do, because I wouldn't have a lot to say. And I wouldn't really be able to understand where women were coming from, where sex was difficult for them. And so I do appreciate the fact that a lot of these experiences that I did have when I was first married, God can actually use for good now. But as I've been on my journey, I have found that sex is one of the best gifts that God can give women, because in order for sex to feel good, we have to turn off the multitasking sides of our brain. And the ability to do that, it's one of the only times that we can just live in the moment that we can just embrace what is going on now and not worry about anything else. And I find that that is an amazing gift. One of the reasons that women actually have such a hard time reaching orgasm is because we're trying too hard. We're too focused on it. We're too task oriented. And we're always wondering, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Once you learn how to reach orgasm, you realize that it's actually more of a wave that you get carried along in. And you have to let yourself be carried along. You have to keep breathing. You can't get too tense. You have to let yourself get carried along. And we can't do that if we're not able to live in the moment. I want to share with you some of the things that I said yesterday. If you're like me, chances are you always have a million things going on in your head. You know, what's for dinner tomorrow night, what birthday cards you need to buy, what errands did you forget, uh, what do I do about my kid who is acting out in school, et cetera, et cetera? And it never stops. It's constantly sapping your joy. I read once that every woman is feeling guilty about at least two things at all times. And I think that's true for all of us. If you're not feeling guilty right now, you could probably talk yourself into it pretty quickly. Just think about it for a minute. Do I have anything to feel guilty about? And you will think of some things. Because <laughs> that's what we do to ourselves. A couple of years ago, I read uh, Bill and Pam Farrell's book, Men Are Like Waffles women are like spaghetti, which I think is an amazing book. But the point that they're making is that men are able to live in these boxes and they can move from box to box. So they can move from their work box to their sex box to their kids box. And when they're in those boxes they're totally there. Women on the other hand are like spaghetti where everything is all intermingled. And so for us when we're in our sex box, so to speak, there's all of these windy interconnected things impinging on it. And so it's very difficult to just be about sex, because you're still thinking about that birthday card you didn't buy. You're still thinking about how your son wouldn't practice piano. And you don't want to get into a power struggle with him. But what are you going to do? (laughs) And that's super tiring. It really is. I mean, sometimes I just want to be in a box without all the worries and cares of the world. That I think is what God gives us when it comes to sex. He gives us that ability to just be in the box. And it's something that we have to teach ourselves. It's not something that comes naturally. But when you understand it, it really is a gift. As I am getting older, (laughs) I am learning ever so slowly to live in the moment. You know, my husband turns 50 in a couple of months. I'm still a little bit behind him, so I won't be 50 for a while. But My kids are both grown. My kids are both married. You start to reevaluate your life and you realize that I have spent too much of my life worrying about what other people think and not enough of my life just enjoying the amazing things that God has given me. I think that God made women's bodies the way that he did as a gift to us. We have to be multitaskers. God made us multitaskers because somebody's got to be able to always think about the children, okay? Imagine a world where everybody lived in boxes then you might be in the cooking dinner box and you wouldn't be paying attention to the children who are currently in the kill each other box. I mean, as women, we need to be able to focus on more than one thing just to make sure that children don't kill each other. Now, I'm not saying that men can't uh, parent well as well or that parenting is only a woman's job. I'm just saying that I think that God did make us with that uh, multitasking facet of ourselves so that at least part of humanity (laughs) was more geared to making sure that kids didn't die and that relationships intact. You do need people that are concerned about all of these things at any one time. But then God did a really interesting thing when he made our bodies, which is he made us so that it's much more difficult to respond sexually. If you are multitasking, you have to be able to turn off that part of yourself in order to enjoy it. See, the weird thing about sex for women is that if our heads are not engaged, our bodies don't follow. One night, he could just have you in raptures, and then three nights later, he could do exactly the same thing, move for move, and you're lying there thinking, will you just get it over with because I want to get to sleep? Because it's not about what he's doing. It always is about what you're thinking. Our heads need to be engaged for our bodies to follow, and that means that we can't multitask because when we multitask, our heads are not engaged. If you're lying there thinking, well, I'm just going to plan my grocery list because at some point he's going to hit the right spot, and then I will stop doing the grocery list and I'll enjoy sex, that's not going to work because if you're making your grocery list, he could be hitting the right spot the whole time, and you are never going to enjoy it because you're focused on the groceries. When we don't pay attention to our bodies, sex feels Eh, it's not very good. We have to train ourselves to forget about everything else and just to feel what's happening now. I realize that's a lot of work. Of course, it doesn't come naturally for many of us. And a lot of us during sex too, we almost get outside of our bodies and we're judging ourselves. And we're wondering, okay, am I doing this right? What's he thinking if I do this? And you get kind of embarrassed and you have to actually turn that off too. I honestly think that if it were easy for women to feel pleasure, even if we did have 15 things going through our heads, then we would never be able to fully relax. But because we need to learn how to let go and how to let everything else fall by the wayside in order to enjoy sex, it shows us that God wants us to let it all go sometimes. God wants us just to be... It becomes less about all of these other things that make up our lives. And it becomes more about this instinctual thing where you're learning how to just be. And I love that. It's amazing how in order to have good sex, we have to let go of control. God could have made our body so that we respond in the same way that, that most men do. I'm not saying that no women respond automatically to sex because uh, you know, some women just have very, very high libidos and some women are really, really responsive. But a lot of us take a lot more warming up. Uh, they say that to reach orgasm during intercourse, the average man takes about two minutes and the average woman takes almost 20. So we tend to take a lot longer than guys do. And... Orgasm is much more of an issue for most women than it is for most men a lot of women It's a skill that you need to learn most men. They don't need to learn it It just happens and the way that we define sex often is him reaching his orgasm That's often what ends the sexual encounter I really hope in our marriages that he is much more focused on you reaching orgasm, too uh, Or that that's something that you're learning together, but I'm just saying in general (laughs) sex often ends with his orgasm but God didn't make our bodies to respond as automatically as most men's bodies do. So why would this be? I think that if God made both of us to respond in the same way, there wouldn't be that same emotional and spiritual intimacy that we have through making love the way that we do now. See, if our bodies were always automatic, then great sex could be just physical. But because we have to relax... And because we have to be able to focus on what's going on and because we have to let go of all the things in our mind, we have to really trust him. We have to become very, very vulnerable. In order to let go of all these multitasking things that you have in your mind, you have to know that this is a person that I can trust. Because a lot of those multitasking things are really self-preservation things. You're worried about all the things that you have to do to get your life on track. If you let go of those things, it's because you trust that your life is going to be okay. (laughs) And so in order for us to feel good, we have to become vulnerable we can't become vulnerable if we can't trust him. And so for sex really to work for her, it has to be something where she feels, I can trust him, I can be vulnerable. And that also means that she can tell him what she likes. That's not easy to do because a lot of us don't even know what we like. (laughs) And it's also a really intimate conversation to have. And so God made us so that we would have to let our guards down in order for sex to feel good. In fact, the one thing that you can't do is be a control freak and still have great sex. A lot of us women really are a control freak. When I give my sex talk, I often ask people to put up their hands if they're a control freak, and almost every woman will, because we all are trying desperately to get our lives to go in a certain direction, and we all feel a far greater sense of responsibility for that than a lot of men do. We worry about relationships much more than most men do. Again, I know that's a generality, but when you do these, these large-scale large studies about things that people feel guilty for, women's are a lot more relationship-based. And so we do tend to act like control freaks a lot. But if you're trying to be in control, sex will never, ever be great. It really won't. You have to learn how to let go of control and how to be totally carried away by that wave. Sex is about feeling, not so much about thinking. And if if you overthink things, sex won't work well. But the other issue is that great sex means that you aren't really proper, so to speak. (laughs) See, a proper woman is someone who is fully buttoned up, and she has the tea kettle on and not a hair is out of place. And she uses very gentle speech. And great sex is the opposite of all that. Okay, you can't be worried what you look like, or what you sound like, or even what you're doing, if you're going to be able to enjoy yourself, you have to stop getting outside of your body and wondering if you're looking right or doing a good job. And you have to start letting go and not caring. But why is it that we try so hard to be proper in our everyday life? Because we care what other people think of us. And especially as Christians, I think a lot of us grow up with this idea of what a proper Christian girl is. And that holds us back sexually. I'll be talking about that more um, when I talk about it in the comment section of this podcast, because I have a great comment, a guy left that I want to elaborate on some of that. But we train ourselves to be conscious of every move. And great sex means throwing caution to the wind and letting yourself be primitive, not proper. And this isn't because there's anything improper with sex and marriage, by the way, okay? It reminds me of the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe when the beavers are trying to explain Aslan to the children. And what they keep saying is, well, he's not a tame lion, you know. (laughs) And that's what sex is like. It isn't tame. It isn't something that you can put a lid on and keep it unmessy and organized. It spills over. It revels. It even screams. So great sex means that we have to be willing to let go of control. And in order to do that, we have to stop multitasking and we have to let ourselves be present in the moment. And I think that's a gift where you can be making love with your husband and you can let all the concerns go. And you can just breathe deeply and realize, I love this man. I know he loves me. I am just able to enjoy this moment. I'm just able to enjoy my life right now. And that is good. That is God's gift to us. And I hope that you were all able to experience that and understand that. It's one of the things I'm most passionate about on my blog. And all of these products that I'm creating, 31 Days to Great Sex, our new Sexy Dares, which is launching next week, (laughs) Um, the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. This is all to help you understand that sex can be both hot and holy at the same time. And in fact, That actually makes it hotter when we realize that it is about this intimacy of being able to trust, being able to be vulnerable, and being able to let all the other concerns go. As we enter Valentine's Day month, that's what I'm hoping for you. And this month on the podcast and on the blog, we're going to be talking even more about that. 31 days to great sex. It's 31 really fun challenges in 31 days just read two to four pages a day together and do what it says. It's easy peasy. And don't worry, you don't have to have sex for 31 days straight. Instead, you'll learn to talk more openly about issues, flirt more, deal with baggage, figure out what feels good, try new things, spice things up, and so much more. It's the best 31 days you will ever have in your marriage. Why not start today? It's Millennial Marriage, and I am here with my daughter, Rebecca.
1: Hello! And you are a millennial? I am. I am the last year possible to be a millennial. Okay, so that so you, you squeaked in there. Squeaked in there. And we are now going to talk about people who
0: are barely squeaking by... Student loans! Because they have student loans, there's this a terrible article in No Bloomberg. one knows
1: student loans like my generation. Yes, and and I really do feel sorry for your
0: generation. So, awful article in Bloomberg just about how much debt um, today's millennials are carrying, and especially there's one particular group that is just really
1: messed over altogether,
0: which is those who graduated in 2012. Well, those who
1: took out loans in 2012. Right, took out
0: loans in 2012, largely because um, when they entered the labor market, they couldn't get jobs.
1: Yeah, because well, the unemployment rate was so... So high back then, and so at the same time, the loan numbers were doubling, and the unemployment rate was also incredibly high. That's just a really unfortunate combination. So I'm going to read you this paragraph from the Bloomberg article. It says,
0: A large percentage of those who took out loans in 2012 are currently 24 to 33 years old, an age where many are generally establishing themselves in their careers. Borrowers in this group entered the labor force when the unemployment rate was twice as high as today and may have found it difficult to find a career track in their desired field. Further adding to the difficulties faced by this group was that finding a position in 2012 took almost three times longer than today, according to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And I think in this article it said something like 700,000 people owe more than...
1: 200K. Yeah. That's incredible. It's insane. Okay. I know. Okay, so... And like, and this is also, like in Canada, student loans do not... Tend to be as high as in the states too,
0: right? Because our tuition is just a lot lower. Because it really is. Our universities just are kind of. There's no special stuff. It's just kind of.
1: But even our even our really good universities, the tuition is still pretty low. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, like we don't have Harvard. Yeah. But still, the majority of people in the states do not go to Harvard.
0: Right, and so and so our tuition's a lot lower, and and but we still have student loans, and what? a lot of Americans are just really suffering from this. So think about this. So you've got, let's say, you've got two people who got married, both of whom had you know, let's say $75,000 in student loans, you're looking at $150,000 that you owe.
1: Yeah, that's a mortgage Yeah, in a lot of places.
0: Yeah, and so what in the world are you going to do? So we just want to give you guys a little bit of hope if you are in this group today. Exactly,
1: because here's, here's the thing. Here's what's normally what I normally see happen and what all these financial blogs say happens too. People graduate with a ton of debt. They have a hard time finding a job, but then they buy a house and a new car. Mhm. You know, and the problem is when you're looking at this giant mountain of debt, it can be easy to say, well, this is hopeless anyway, so I'm not going to put my life on hold right. for something I'm never going to get out of anyway. And then they move forward and they get the mortgage and they get the car payments. But the problem is you've just made that problem like three times as large.
0: Yeah, because the, the problem with having debt is that you now have no flexibility.
1: And that's the thing. If one thing goes, everything crumbles. Yeah. If you can only afford to make the minimum payments on everything, yeah. that's a really scary place to be in. Yeah. What happens if your spouse gets in a car accident? What happens if you have a really rough pregnancy and have to take, you know, sick leave longer than your? Then do they even have employment insurance in the states? I don't know, but I know
0: that I wrote this article a while ago on um the U.S.'s maternity leave policy, where you really don't get any maternity leave.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what happens? Like, if seriously, in
0: Canada, we get twelve months.
1: Yep, like, you get we get a year 12 off. Months, a year yep.
0: off at fifty-seven percent of your of your pay.
1: Yep. And Sometimes more if your employer is really generous. Yeah, and so
0: and, and so if you want to stay home with your kids, you're really in a pickle. If you've got, you know, car loan, mortgage, and student loan. So here's here's what I what we're going to suggest, and this is going to sound radical. Yes. So get ready.
1: Well, well, first of all, there's the idea that everyone's doing that because everyone has this much debt. But if you don't want to be in that much debt, you're going to have to do something really different than everything else. That's right. You got to be different. So here's, Dave here's Ramsey's the big always thing. saying that. Yes. But but here's what you're going to do. Go you're going to live crazy below your means. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and crazy. I know it sounds really silly, but you have to do the short-term muscling through mm-hmm. so that you can live a more stress-free life later. Yeah, let, let's think about it.
0: Okay, so let's say that you graduate at 23, mm-hmm. okay, and you're married now. Let's say you're 25 years old and you're both married and you've got $150,000 in debt. All right. And let's say that you're both making, let's say, 35000 a year. Yeah. Which is slightly more than minimum wage. Well, in yeah. Canada. In Canada, it's slightly, more... slightly
1: more than minimum wage. Yeah. Okay.
0: So let's say that your combined income is 70000 Yes. All right. So you owe 150000 You You have a combined income of 70000 If you guys can just live on 30000 a year, you could get rid of that student debt in four years. Yeah, exactly. And I know that sounds crazy, living on 30000 a year,
1: but it's actually quite possible. Honestly, Connor and I have been doing that ever since we got married. And that's why I want to talk to you about this today, because exactly. you guys are awesome. So, just, Well, we're like... awesome because I have a really, really neurotic anxiety towards money, <laughs> and I am just terrified of my bank account getting below a certain number, and so yeah. we just don't spend anything. Yeah, and I mean... And, we're getting and... better now at enjoying, now that we have higher incomes. Yeah. But still... You yeah, know, we still live on one person's income. Yeah, and so you get you know, you guys have an apartment, you rent an apartment, you have this
0: really beater up car. Yes. Which, terribly, terribly beater up car.
1: Yeah, which we're we're just to tell you how beater up it is, we are actually looking at getting a new used car now and we asked for evaluation. They said, Well, you bought new tires this year, so like, a thousand bucks for both pairs of used tires, mm-hmm. and then we'll just take the car as a charity.
0: Yeah. It's a like, it's, it's real a bad. <laughs> but you've lived on it for a couple of years now. Yeah. You know, and you guys just don't spend a lot. You don't go out a lot. You don't spend a lot on clothes. You have fun at home. Um, you do parties with friends instead of going out. And, exactly. And it works. So a you lot really, of games nights. Yeah, you really can live on, on 30000 a year. And I know when Keith and I were young, um, we were living in downtown Toronto, and we, we rented an apartment. A lot of his fellow residents um, in pediatrics were buying houses in Toronto. We rented an apartment. Um, we lived in a tiny two-bedroom apartment with two babies. And... It was tight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't spend a lot on groceries. We didn't go out a lot. But we managed to save for our down payment. And that's just a big thing
1: is like it seems sometimes that these outside the box ideas are kind of throwing money away. Like, why would you rent if you could get a house? Right. But the problem is it's not only about how much equity are you saving for right now. Because reality, if you're making minimum payments on your mortgage, you're not really paying towards much equity anyway. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Reality, like re- realistically. But the other thing, too, is that it, while Connor and I, Connor had a little bit of student loans, really not very much. At all I didn't have any cuz I was lucky mm-hmm. um but like I think that just the the idea that if we suddenly had a dip in income or mm-hmm. lost our jobs or something we weren't going to suddenly have to default on anything right and that's just the thing is you, if you're at a point where it's stressful because everything is just the minimum payments and you're barely making it by cuz that's what happens with these huge loans and then the huge mortgage and then the huge car payment that just doesn't need to be your life. And that's just what we're trying to say here, is muscle through, mm-hmm. figure out a way to live on next to nothing, and people do it all the time. It's not just me Yeah, because here's it's... the
0: thing. I, I know people say, well, it's throwing money away to rent, and it is... If you rent a hugely expensive place, but if you're renting a really small place so that you can build equity, it's exactly. not throwing money so away. So that you
1: can pay off your debt and then save it for a down payment.
0: Because when you guys buy a house, you're going to buy a house that's much nicer than the apartment that you're living much in right nicer. now. Because you're sacrificing now so that you can get to where you want to be a lot faster. Exactly. And um, and I think that's just the key thing is just live below your means. Banks will tell you, like banks will give you mortgages for things that actually give you no flexibility or wiggle room at all. Yep. Yeah,
1: because what they do is they figure out what you could pay and then they give you the mortgage for the upper limit of that. Right. And and that's not always the best thing to but do. But banks make money on interest.
0: Yeah. So like just, I, I just don't want to see people living stress, stress, such stressed lives. And the key to that is the less debt you have, the better. So I know a lot of you are in really difficult positions with student debt, and I really feel for you. Totally. And so what I would, just say is like live as frugally as you can for a couple of years, and really have like a goal for it, exactly. so that you know why you're doing this and why you're sacrificing, and know
1: that no matter how big the student debt is, you can get out of it. Mm-hmm. If people pay off three hundred thousand mortgages in like nine years, yeah, that you happens. This off. You can pay it off, and and you know what? If you start that at twenty five, by
0: the time you're thirty, you'll be debt free you'll be able to get your house saved for a couple of years just like that for your down payment you'll be able to get a house and you'll be so much further ahead completely yeah so that's what we just want to encourage you with you know if you can avoid getting student loans in the first place do that but otherwise you can still do it and we're all about here at millennial marriage the stress-free marriage totally time for a reader question. Every podcast, I like to take a question that's been emailed in or left in the comments and give you a few quick thoughts, which hopefully can put you in the right direction. So here's a great one that I'm sure a lot of you can relate to. The woman writes, we started out not knowing what our sex life really needed to be like, and it was uncomfortable and painful for me. So I pulled away to the point that I really didn't want to have much to do with sex because it didn't work for me. About five years later, I finally found out what an orgasm should be like, (laughs) but I still never had the desire to be intimate. We've had two kids since then dealt with a few porn incidents on his end and worked our way through the very exhausting early parenting years. Our kids are now, they're fairly young in elementary school. But most days I'm very tired and I just want to go to sleep and don't really care to be intimate. And I feel terrible about that, but I have no idea how to change it. And lots of times I try to be intimate with him and I just can't shut my brain off or relax enough to enjoy it all. He has always treated me respectfully through this all and he doesn't understand. And quite frankly, I don't either. Please help. Okay, great question. And a lot of you are probably shaking your heads going, yes, that's me. (laughs) So I thought this question went so well with our main segment today about the gift that God gives. Us, I've just been able to be fully present. And here's a woman who's saying, "I ain't got that gift yet." Like this is totally not working for me. So a few a few things. You read this story, and it sounds just so exhausting, doesn't it? I mean, they've got layer upon layer upon layer of things that have gone wrong in their sex life. It didn't work for them for the first five years. It was even painful for her. They had little kids, and they were dealing with just constant exhaustion. Her husband had turned to porn some. And that's just a lot of layers to look through. And it's no wonder that sex has become a big problem. But sometimes when it gets to be this big problem, we look at it and we see all of those layers and it becomes so exhausting to even think about it. And what I want to recommend to you right now is that we got to cut through the layers and let them go and... You almost need like a sexual reset button. I think a lot of us would do so well if we had, you know, one of those big reset buttons they have at Staples. Um, they use them in advertisements all the time. Like, I think we need a big reset button in our bedroom so that we can just go back to the beginning again. Now, I wouldn't say this if he was still involved with porn, okay? Like, I do believe that porn needs to be dealt with fully, but it does sound from her letter that that's not what's going on now. It's just things that they have worked through in the past. They just need a reset. And part of that reset needs to be her seeing sex in a different way. Because I think right now, when she's looking at sex, It's like one more thing in her to-do list. It's one more thing she's doing wrong. It's one more thing she's not good enough at. It's one more thing where she's a failure. And that is exhausting when we think about it that way. So I want to suggest something. I want you to think about it instead, the way I talked about it in the main segment. Just realize, okay, this is a gift that God has given to me. Now, a lot of people tell me that. I just can't shut off my brain to relax or enjoy it at all. You can't shut off your brain unless you're replacing it with something. Like, you really can't just empty your brain, okay? That doesn't work. (laughs) It really doesn't. What you need to do instead is replace the thoughts that you are currently thinking with different thoughts. Instead of saying, okay, I can't think about the grocery list, and I'm not going to think about the kids, and I'm just going to think about my husband, and I'm going to do all these things, and you start reciting to yourself all the things you're going to do, which is exhausting, all right? Just say to yourself... I'm going to enjoy this and this is going to be awesome because we need this and I'm looking forward to it and start saying those things to yourself. One more thing, sex is not going to be good unless you prioritize it. When you do prioritize it, it can be an incredibly amazing part of your marriage that actually energizes all the rest of you that actually helps you to be able to deal with the little kids because you feel closer to your husband, you feel better rested, you feel like yeah, like we're really connecting. Those are important things. But it doesn't happen unless you prioritize it. And so if she's really tired, when she's going to bed at the end of the day, go to bed earlier or do less. Like, seriously, just go to bed earlier or do less. If your life is so exhausting that you have no time with your husband at the end of the day where you feel still mildly awake, then your life needs to change. Okay, (laughs) it just does. Like your marriage needs to be a priority. There is no magic formula to this where it can get better. It's just a decision that you have to make that this is going to be my priority. And I really, really encourage you to think not in terms of all the things that have happened before and in terms of how you failed at this area of your life and you're still not good enough, but just stop all of that and just say to yourself, this is God's gift to me. This is going to be amazing. This is going to help me relax. I'm going to enjoy this. And I want to be with my husband. Start saying those things to yourself instead of trying to empty your brain of everything else. And I really hope that that helps. And if you're still having issues, do check out my Boost Your Libido course. I talk a lot about how we can get in the right frame of mind about a lot of these things and how we can start to look forward to sex. And I hope that mind switch helps for you.
1: Physically intimate, spiritually intimate, emotionally intimate, That's what sex is supposed to be. And yet too often we think that sex is only physical. And we miss out on the amazing richness that God designed for us. Check out The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Because if God made sex to be great, then why would you settle for less?
0: Some input from you. Every week on the To Love Honor and Vacuum podcast, I like to highlight a comment or a question or something that's come in off of social media this week and then talk about it. And here's a comment that was left by a guy named Scott on a much older post, nothing that I've written lately. It was a post about how to get more adventurous in bed or try new things, and he said this. I don't mind some things being off limits, but one position only forever with no willingness to try variety, and again, nothing remotely crazy, is a problem. You might say, as my wife does, well, I never feel like I'm good enough or whatever, but how is that anything more than a selfish deflection technique if you've never been willing to try anything different? Christianity is a good thing, but it's often used as a cop-out for things like this, in my opinion. Okay, great point. And you know what, this actually does make me sad. Because I think that's actually true. That Christianity is used as a cop out for not having a great sex life when it should be totally the opposite. It's Christians who should have an amazing sex life, because we understand that it's about more than just the physical, it's about emotional and spiritual intimacy too. And that actually makes the physical a lot hotter. (laughs) Like in the surveys that I did for the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, I found that the couples who felt the closest in other realms were also most likely to have the most fun in bed. You know, she was the most likely to reach orgasm. They rated their sex lives the highest. This is an important thing. And so Christians should be having great sex. And yet often we're not. And sometimes that's because we let hang ups hold us back. So I, I just want to reiterate that that I think this guy is right. I think there's a lot of husbands out there that are frustrated because they can see what their sex lives could be if their wives would just embrace it. And they think, well, my wife is missing out on so much. But when they try to express that, she feels like her husband's a pervert or something. And I think a lot of this is due to that root that we've been talking about for the last few weeks that in the church, too often we grow up with ideas like the one found in love and respect, that sex is only about his physical release. And that's not actually true. That's not what God made sex for. You know, we were talking on the main segment about how sex helps us to feel vulnerable and sex helps us to actually be relaxed, be in the moment, enjoy each other. And that's what's supposed to happen. But it doesn't happen if we hold ourselves back. And a lot of this is us holding ourselves back. But, of course, there are two possibilities here. Maybe he truly is asking you to do stuff that you think is gross. And if that's the case, I will link to an article that I've written about what to do if your husband wants something that's gross. But I also think that a lot of us women are too quick to say that certain things are gross when they really aren't. You know, if you have issues with certain sexual acts, like if you have issues with oral sex or something because of abuse in your past, I totally get that. Not everybody likes being touched in all of the same ways. And I totally get that too. But... There's a lot of benefit from sex being something that isn't always the same every time. When you do things always the same way, it can start to just get boring, like you're just going through the motions. But when you do do new things, it kind of forces you to live more in the moment. (laughs) And it can be it can actually be really fun. Now he's saying, you might say, as my wife does, I never feel like I'm good enough to do those things. But that's a classic deflection technique. And I actually do agree with him. So why is it that we women often shy away from things because we feel like we're never good enough to do them? I think it's because we've bought into the porn culture. Ladies, you do not have to be a porn star, okay? You don't need to be able to do anything gymnastic or anything. In fact, please don't try to do that. But trying different positions, that's not about a skill. That's just about hey, let's see what feels good. And some things do feel good from different positions. You know, there's things that make you feel tighter, which can be more pleasurable for him. There's other positions that can actually help you reach orgasm faster because it stimulates your G spot, which is helpful for you. But you won't know these things if you don't try these things. So quick note, okay? Basically, all positions are based on one of three things. Either she is on top, he is on top, or there's some sort of he's behind her coming in from behind. Okay. And those could be in a sitting position in a in a lying down position, whatever, but they're all basically those three things. And I would just say experiment with those three things, just try them in different ways and see what happens, see what feels good. And if some of them, you really don't like them, then you don't have to do them again. (laughs) But don't just limit yourself to one position, because I think you are missing out on a lot. And honestly, God made us to enjoy our bodies. He really did. He made us to enjoy them with each other. There is nothing wholly about one particular position over another particular position. So don't let that hold you back. And if you just don't know how to introduce this subject, and you're just really, really embarrassed, try something like 31 Days to Great Sex, because it's totally different doing something because the book tells you to do it and doing something because you have to bring it up yourself. Next week, I'm going to be launching a new product that's going to help you do some sexy dares. And maybe that's another great thing for you to try as well. But don't limit yourself to one thing. Because honestly, sex is supposed to be amazing. And it can be a whole, lot more than that. Thanks for tuning in to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. Tune in to, to dot vacuum.com this week as we gear up for Valentine's Day and release our new sexy dares. So fun. Until then, I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire, helping your marriage feel less like a to-do list and more like a passionate adventure.